Welcome to the JCMS CME Podcast, the audio companion to the Journal of Cutaneous Medicine and Surgery. I'm Dr. Kirk Barber, the Editor-in-Chief at JCMS. Thank you for inviting me into your day. The goal of our podcast is to provide you with further insight into select articles that appear in JCMS by sharing my conversations with the authors. Today, we're interviewing Dr. Mark Kirchhoff, MD, PhD, FRCPC, the Division Head of Dermatology in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa, and one of the authors of the manuscript, The Risks and Benefits of Cannabis in the Dermatology Clinic, which appeared in our March-April 2018 issue. Dr. Kirchhoff and his co-author, Dr. Dadwell, a dermatologist in British Columbia, review the potential uses of medical marijuana and the known dermatological risks that those of us in practice will undoubtedly see and need to manage. Specifically, we discuss the issues of oral cancer, cannabis arteritis and ulceration, and cannabis allergy. I will be asking Dr. Kirchhoff to share his clinical experience with these issues and his thoughts regarding their actual prevalence. We also discuss the therapeutic issues for cannabis and dermatology and ask him just how do we write that prescription. So without further ado, my interview with Dr. Kirchhoff. I hope you will enjoy it. I'd like to start off with the very first question as to what brought you to write about cannabis? Well, first, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And, and I just have to commend you on the amazing work you're doing at the JCMS. I think uh, we as the dermatology community are, are very appreciative of uh, all the hard work you put in and the amazing journal that it's becoming and has uh, been for many years. So thank you very much for that. So in terms of um, what first brought us to the subject matter, um, of course, the uh, impending legalization of uh, cannabis or marijuana in Canada uh, drove us to explore this topic. Uh, in addition, um, in both of our clinics, uh, Dr. Dadwell practices in uh, British Columbia. I practice here in Ontario. And both of us have noticed that many of our patients use uh, uh, medical marijuana in various formats for various ailments. Um, so we wanted to know what the actual data was to support that. And then uh, conversely, what would be the risks um, to the increased use of medical marijuana or just recreational marijuana in uh, the Canadian population? So what are we going to see as dermatologists when this becomes uh, widely available? Well, you showed great uh, forethought in developing this. Uh, I have uh, researched a little bit with regard to the Canadian Medical Protective Association and what their uh, concerns are. And uh, they um, reference the Access to Cannabis for Medical Purposes regulation that on August 24, 2016 as, a, as the federal marijuana regulations. And if you look at uh, the college, each college in in, in um, individual provinces has its own set of regulations. And one of the things in Ontario, um, the, the article speaks to, doctors must also advise patients about the material risks and benefits of dried marijuana. I mean, clearly your article is very timely. And if we could start with the side effects that, you're, that you think we're gonna see, because I anticipate that as a dermatologist, I'm going to start to see more of them than I am 
legitimate uses for this product. Correct. Um, so there are what I would call two major categories of side effects that we're going to see as dermatologists. And then there have been reports of some uh, lesser uh, side effects that may not be as prevalent. So the two major things that people should be aware of is one, uh, cannabis arteritis. Um, so this presents uh, with uh, necrotic areas, ulcerations of the uh, extremities, so hands or feet, uh, and can actually result in limb loss in, in serious situations. There have been many reports of this in the literature. Um, so what we see is people who are consuming high amounts of cannabis, usually one joint uh, a day, um, and sometimes, it, most of the time, concomitantly with tobacco use, um, they can develop this. There's a prodrome of raynodes potentially, um, pain uh, associated with that, uh, claudication. If you see that in a person who is a high cannabis user as well as potentially smoking uh, tobacco or using tobacco at the same time, uh, that can progress relatively rapidly to a necrotic uh, state and uh, potentially uh, limb loss. So that's, a, that's an important thing. And, and that's obviously emerge docs are going to see that. We might also see that in the dermatology clinic. The other thing uh, that we're going to see, and this is sort of a more chronic thing, is the development of uh, pruritus, uh, dermatitis, um, allergic contact dermatitis, and sensitization to cannabis in its very for various formats. So um, cannabis uh, is, is obviously not a, um, a, call a clean drug. It uh, has multiple chemicals in it. And some of those uh, are familiar allergic uh, contact uh, agents uh, such as uh, limoline and linalool, uh, both of which are on the standard American contact uh, dermatitis uh, panel that people test for. So we have uh, evidence and there's been reports of people who have contact allergens to cannabis. Not only that, we are now seeing the rise of something called cannabis food allergy syndrome. So people can develop uh, IgE molecules uh, against cannabis, and then they are apparently cross-reactive against foods such as uh, strawberry, kiwi, uh, peach, etc. So um, pruritus is going to be a thing that we're going to see related to cannabis, and I've seen this personally in uh, clinics in British Columbia and here in Ontario where I have patients who have uh, high levels of pruritus, and when they stop consuming cannabis, their pruritus goes away. And then we may see urticarial-type reactions, um, and then we may see contact allergens when people actually handle the substance. So those are the big two. There are lesser reports uh, on things such as AGEP related to cannabis consumption. Um, cannabis may also uh, cause uh, problems with hair growth and deformity. Um, gynecomastia has long been a reported uh, symptom of cannabis use, uh, although that's uh, somewhat controversial. The last study was done uh, over 25 years ago. Um, so there's definitely things that we're going to see uh, in the dermatology clinic in, with increasing prevalence. So, you know, to, to pick up the typical patient that we're going to see with these problems, now recognizing that marijuana isn't going to be restricted to the young, the use with the proposed uh, federal uh, legalization is going to expand this to all age groups, but I would assume it's a, a sort of a younger, middle-aged kind of uh, use that we're going to see expanding so we get a young person in the office with the early onset raynaud's phenomena or with raynaud's phenomena uh, i guess what we'll do is we'll look at their fingertips to see if they've developed a contact dermatitis as well 
potential. So the, pro, pro, so the prototypical patient is someone has itch, has a hand eczema and uh, is developed Raynaud's at the same time. Potentially. I mean, you, you, yeah. we should definitely ask uh, about cannabis consumption going forward. Um, yeah. I've often had situations where I've asked about drug use and people would have denied any drug use, but then you further questioned about cannabis consumption. And a lot of people don't even consider cannabis a drug anymore. They consider it in the same you know vein as alcohol um, or caffeine. And so uh, it's important to ask direct questions to the patients if they are consuming this and in which manner as well. Yeah, and well, and and uh, to take my little attempt at humor to help us remember these things, um, it's going to be something that's itchy, this generalized pruritus. And that, um, really, in a young person, that should probably be a trigger because there, there are likely not that many other reasons for generalized itch without signs, other than I might think of pregnancy off the top of my head. And it, but marijuana may become the second most common or the commonest cause of itch without signs in a younger age group when more people start to use the drug. Correct. That That's what I've seen uh, anecdotally in the clinic. I've seen uh, the younger patient, usually male, uh, who has uh, extensive uh, systemic generalized pruritus. Uh, investigations have all been negative, And then lo and behold, they stop their cannabis consumption. They get better. Uh, sometimes there's a bit of a discussion and, uh, uh, I guess, conflict between their desire to consume cannabis and the symptoms yeah. of pruritus. And sometimes they want treatment for the pruritus while still consuming the cannabis. Something to add to our list of urtic urticarial um, agents that cause urticaria as well. I hear other hypersensitivity phenomenon, that, that limb loss story, um, that would be a frightening experience Correct. for anyone to have. Right? Yeah, yeah. So I read in your um, article also about the oral cancer. And I know in Europe, a lot of marijuana is uh, combined with tobacco. And I wonder if we'll start to see that trend in our part of the world as well, um, resulting in more oral cancers, again, in younger age groups, um, much like in the baseball players, we started to see the, the lip cancers with the, with the chewing tobacco. Um, yes, I, I recently gave a uh, talk on uh, cannabis consumption at the Grand Rounds here in Ottawa, and we had an extensive discussion with the respirologists um, because they uh, feel that cannabis uh, consumed in a smoked format is as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than consuming tobacco smoke. Um, and people are not aware of that. People often assume that uh, cannabis is a safer drug than tobacco. But the fact is, is when you burn anything, you're producing a lot of carcinogenic chemicals. And so if you're going to consume cannabis in a smoked format, you have to be aware that there are risks associated with that. Um, often what we uh, see in terms of oral cancers that develop is people that have had concomitant tobacco consumption as well. HPV may also play a role in the development of oral cancers concomitantly with uh, cannabis consumption. Uh, so there's still a lot of details to sort out, but definitely, uh, I think, uh, based on the uh, chemicals involved and the consumption of those chemicals and potentially in high volumes, this will definitely be a risk for people that are, are choosing to consume cannabis in inhaled or smoked format. So in all forms of ingestion or inhalation, we see the hypersensitivity phenomena. The world cancers will be mostly in the inhaled. Um, are there other things to think about with inhaled versus um, um, oral um, um, delivery systems? Well, cannabis in general uh, causes xerostomia, so dryness of the mouth. Uh, um, as people 
who may have consumed marijuana, uh, who may be listening are aware of that. Um, and so this is a known side effect and that dryness can actually, uh, lead to things like, uh, tooth loss and, uh, gingival retraction. Um, so there are other, uh, important considerations in the oral cavity when consuming marijuana, not just the uh, cancers that you can get. Will you be developing a, um, side effect brochure for your office? I think that is an excellent idea. I think we should probably do that uh, for dermatologists in general across the country um, uh, and perhaps for physicians in general. I think a lot of uh, physicians, not just dermatologists, not aware of the side effects of uh, cannabis consumption. A lot of people think of it as a very benign medication or benign recreational drug that has uh, no uh, real harm. But that that's definitely not the case. And some people can uh, suffer a lot uh, uh, from cannabis consumption. The GI specialists will tell you about uh, hyperemesis uh, syndromes associated with cannabis consumption. Uh, and they, they've seen a lot of that increasing lately in the, uh, in the recent uh, time period. So it looks like a project, uh, another project for us uh, uh, with the journal and try and get something out to the public as quickly as we can. Uh, because this is uh, something that's going to happen over the summer. Uh, we're going to start to see more and more um, um, users, uh, I, I anticipate, uh, given the fact that it'll be more freely available. Yes. Now, yeah. it, sorry, Mark. Yep. I, I just wanted to now when the, switch you over from the side effect profile to why after listening to all this would someone use it for a medical purpose? Is there anything now? I understand from your article, we talk about pain and I can see where pain relief and maybe, um, I think it was Queen Victoria for her hyperemesis. Um, but other than that, what's the literature tell us about the positive bits? So you're, you're absolutely right there. Is, I'm an evidence based doctor. Uh, some people practice with less evidence than others, but uh, I, try to believe in the process of uh, proper investigation and analysis of the data. Um, in, in an overarching statement that I can make about medical marijuana is there's not a lot of good data. We definitely need more trials. Despite that, um, we have seen the approval of uh, medical marijuana uh, and cannabis for medical uses in a variety of districts, including Canada. Uh, if you go onto the Health Canada page uh, and look at the potential uses for uh, medical marijuana or medical cannabis, uh, they do list three dermatological indications, and those are uh, pruritus, uh, dermatitis, and psoriasis, in addition to uh, pain. We know that some of the uh, dermatological conditions that we treat, such as hydradenase suprativa, can be very painful. Uh, and they may benefit from uh, cannabis use in certain situations. If you go to the United States, uh, same thing. You see that certain districts have approved uh, the medication uh, or use of medical marijuana for things like psoriasis, um, lupus, nail patella syndrome, uh, chronic pain conditions. So there is sort of a, a, a plethora of, of these indications out there with not a lot of data to support them. The most amount of data is, as you mentioned, in the use of pain control. And if you look at the studies, um, the bottom line is that uh, cannabis works uh, about as well as an NZ. Um, so it, it's not in the orders of an opioids or other things. So um, if people say they use it for pain, it may help a little bit, but the fact is it wouldn't be as effective as some of the more effective pain control uh, 
uh, medications that we have. That being said, most people who use medical marijuana um, do it because uh, they either have had failures in the medical system, um, so normal allopathic medicine, and they're looking for alternatives. Um, and then, or they've uh, heard about anecdotal evidence from friends or online, um, for individuals that it's worked for. And I, I can attest in my clinic, I definitely have people who, uh, have been on systemic immunosuppressive medications for psoriasis, atopic dermatitis, who have, uh, then switched over to uh, cannabis in various forms and have found, uh, relief and were able to come off the the immunosuppressive medication. So anecdotally, there is evidence that potentially this may be effective, but we do definitely need uh, trials and, and hopefully we will undertake these uh, at some point in the near future. And in fact, I have an interest in that. Uh, once it's legalized, it'll be a lot easier to undertake those trials. If we look at all of the <clears throat> hoops that we put big pharma through in order to get drugs approved, and we look at Health Canada listing psoriasis as one of the conditions that may potentially benefit from medical marijuana. I'm stunned that um, that they would come forward with that sort of of uh, recognition because uh, I we know all of the work that's been done to tease out the the cytokine pathways and and be um, very plausible in our therapies what's is there any biological plausibility to marijuana and psoriasis for example it's something we know we think we know quite a bit about now sure um so uh, what happens generally speaking in, in this realm is there is a paper that has some evidence usually circumstantial that is then expanded and purported as providing concrete evidence. So for psoriasis, um, one of the uh, seminal papers that's often quoted in a lot of the cannabis literature uh, states that uh, the use of um, cannabis and cannabis extracts um, um, prevents hyperproliferation of keratinocytes. So we know that in psoriasis, we see hyperproliferation of keratinocytes, and therefore they conclude that uh, this uh, cannabis should be usable in patients. Um, uh, which you can argue about how uh, how questionable that is. There's also been other uh, in vitro assays showing that it is uh, immunomodulatory. Um, so we know that the can cannabis receptors, so usually CB1 and CB2, are expressed on a variety of immunological cells as well as cells that we see in the skin, so keratinocytes, um, Langerhans cells. Um, and so there again is that plausibility that perhaps by applying or ingesting uh, cannabis, you are somehow modulating the immune system and thereby providing an anti-inflammatory um, uh, effect. Um, but really there is, and I have to quote, the, uh, make sure that people are aware of this, there's no evidence in a mouse model, there's no evidence uh, in uh, human models to support uh, the use of cannabis in psoriasis other than the studies we've just talked about. It is going to be a fascinating journey. Um, when we think about the drugs that have been withdrawn from our, the marketplace for four or five rare um, events occurring, and then we uh, hear you talk about limb loss versus the potential benefit that is unproven, I can't imagine that that we'll have anything of 
significance for years to come will be sitting at the edge of our chairs waiting for your work looking at you know as you say once the drug is legal then we can start to um to research it and try and sort out some of this stuff so we're not in this fog and haze where it appears that that um uh, we're treading without actually understanding um what we're doing and potentially putting many patients at harm um uh, based on the side effect profile. Yeah, that's why I think the the first studies are going to be done on topical forms of cannabis. Um, obviously, the risks associated with that are less. Um, they're not zero, but uh, it would provide a means to uh, assay the clinical potential of uh, this um, in, a, in a fairly safe manner, right? And, and there are mm. some early trials uh, ongoing um, in using various uh, cannabis extracts uh, topically in the use uh, for atopic dermatitis and psoriasis. Um, if you look at uh, clinicaltrials.org, uh, I think there's one or two currently uh, recruiting in the United States. So there, there are very preliminary uh, works being done in this field. All right. Well, thank you very much. It's been uh, uh, wonderful talking to you. Is there, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to... Uh, pearls that you'd like to leave us with or things that we need to uh, um, address and keep at the top uh, of our minds? Um, sure. I mean, for people that uh, don't know it, because as you might expect, some people will uh, see patients that arrive in their clinic uh, asking for prescriptions for uh, medical marijuana. A and I actually had to go through a bit of a personal exploration, um, finding out how to do this and what to prescribe. So uh, generally speaking, um, uh, cannabis uh, is designated based on THC versus CBD content. Um, so THC, as most people may know, is a psychoactive agent. CBD is sort of uh, considered the immunomodulatory or therapeutic uh, component. And so if you're going to prescribe medical marijuana uh, or if a patient asks you to prescribe it, um, uh, make sure that you prescribe medications that are low in THC and high in CBD um, because otherwise uh, your patients may be uh, uh, going on a bit of a trip. All right. Well, and, 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 and I would also um, encourage anyone planning to prescribe marijuana for medical purposes that they visit the CMPA page, that they get to their college. Um, in Alberta, for example, in order to prescribe, you need to register. Um, and there, each college appears to have its own set of guidelines for medical marijuana prescribers. So I would urge anyone that wants to start prescribing it to, uh, to certainly um, look at the CMPA um, article that they've revised uh, um, in 2016. So I'm assuming there'll be another uh, iteration of that over the next uh, few months as, as the regulation becomes clearer. Correct. In Ontario, there's actually a discussion between the physicians uh, and uh, the government and, medi and uh, medical marijuana producers. Um, and the question is, should physicians still be involved in prescribing uh, cannabis after it becomes legalized? Uh, and that is a question for ongoing debate. Uh, which we probably don't have time to address. Well, I would think that anyone <laughs> listening to this podcast that heard about limb loss would, would quickly want physicians involved. Yes, I agree. Well, thank you for uh, the clarity. Um, and it's going to be a significant adventure for those of us out in the community that haven't followed the literature as closely as you have. And I really appreciate your taking the time to help us understand this.
thank you very much. It's It's been a pleasure and uh, looking forward to future discussions. You've been listening to my conversation with Dr. Mark Kirchhoff, the division head of dermatology in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of Ottawa. The Access to Cannabis for Medical Purposes regulations was introduced in August 2016 to regulate the uses of medical marijuana. The impending legalization of marijuana in Canada will bring a new level of concern to our practices. Not only will we be asked to prescribe the drug, but we need to be knowledgeable regarding its potential risks in order to fully inform our patients. Doctors Kirchhoff and Dadwell provide us with valuable information, particularly with respect to the potentially devastating vascular effects of marijuana use. They also underline the unbelievable lack of evidence available to support the medical use of marijuana in dermatology. The legalization of marijuana will be a challenge for us all. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you're notified of our next interview, which will be with Dr. Neil Shearer, the author of Toxic Epidermal Necrolysis Spectrum Management at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. I'm Dr. Kirk Barber, the Editor-in-Chief at JCMS. Thanks for listening, and until our next conversation, be good to each other.